Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, it's time for baseball talk. Let's go! Ah, yes! Happy Tuesday, everybody, here on MLB Morning Coffee. My name is Greg Mraz, your host, as per usual. Appreciate all the support thus far. We are into our second full week of doing this show. We are having an absolute blast. I have gotten a lot of positive feedback on it thus far. If you have feedback, leave a rating, write a review, good or bad. I don't care. I want constructive criticism. You want the show to be better? I want to make the show better. So let me know all of your thoughts, all of them. If you want to email the show, greg.maraz at yahoo.com. You can also send me a tweet, follow me on Twitter, at Greg D. Mraz. And more than likely, if you're listening to this podcast already, you already do. But if you don't, make sure you hit that follow button. Subscribe to us as well so you can get 30 minutes of freshly brewed MLB goodness in your inbox every morning. We are recording this Tuesday morning a little bit later than I would have liked to, but simply because of the fact that I worked a little bit late last night, I wanted to sleep in a little bit, and I don't have to go to my normal job today. So, Cut me a little bit of slack. The news is still going to be relevant. And speaking of the relevant news, we do it every day. It's time for the Daily Grounds. Our first story today, as it usually seems to be every day, is something that has to do with the Astros. Jose Altuve yesterday in a spring training game at Joker Marchant Stadium in Lakeland, Florida, the home of the Detroit Tigers. He was grazed by a pitch, hit on the foot, and people on social media started going wild about it. He was booed along with the rest of the Astros relentlessly on the road in the Tigers Spring Training Park, but they tried to brush it off as nothing. Manager Dusty Baker quoted as saying, he was hit in the foot. That ain't nothing, you know what I mean? It wasn't intentional. And you know what? That's the type of view that Dusty Baker is going to take because he's an old school manager and he is trying to put out a fire that was set by everybody that wasn't him. Altuve added saying, quote, we just heard a lot of noise and that's it. The Astros are trying to brush this off as nonchalantly as they can, but Ron Gardenhire, the manager of the Tigers, had something to say about it. Quote, there's frustration in the fan base and they have a right to voice their opinion. The Astros are going to have to wear it for a while and eventually it'll move on, but fans are going to voice their opinions and they have a right to. Garden Hire is sharing the sentiments that basically every single baseball fan that is not a fan of the Astros is sharing right now. Everywhere these guys go, they are going to get booed. And if a spring training game is going to bring out the Boo Birds, then once it gets into the regular season and the Astros have to go to parks such as Oakland and New York, the boos are going to be loud and they're going to be heavy. Yankees outfielder Brett Gardner has been dealing with a stalker. Her name is Gina Devashahayam, and in court documents, it said that she harassed and menaced him in his family, per what the New York Post reported, and a Bronx Supreme Court justice granted Gardner a protective order against the fan. She has until Thursday to offer up evidence against the ruling. She told the New York Post that they met on social media, meaning her and Gardner, and that She believes that they have some sort of relationship, but Gardner has never met the person. This is just another case of a pro athlete 
dealing with a stalker, and I just hope for Brett Gardner and his family that this woman can just go away and never have to bother him again. So good for Brett Gardner for getting this order, and hopefully this Gina is no longer to be Cena. This news out of Atlanta Braves camp, Freddie Freeman is going to be out for the foreseeable near future after experiencing some irritation in his right elbow. Freeman said that he felt discomfort in it on Monday and again today, so he is out of the starting lineup and is shut down for the near future. Manager Brian Snicker was quoted as saying, we're trying to nip it in the bud. He's been throwing balls and doing things. Better this happens now than at the end of March. So Freeman actually had arthroscopic surgery on his right elbow on October 18th of 2019. He had his entire right elbow joint clean during the procedure. He had fragmented loose bodies and multiple bone spur formations in that elbow, so the surgery was necessary. Freeman is a huge part of what the Braves are going to do. Playing through that injury for most of last season, he had career highs in homers with 38 and RBIs with 121. The Braves are being seen as one of the top three teams in the National League, and if they're going to contend, Freddie Freeman has to be healthy. So if that means missing a couple of spring training games to make sure that everything is okay, then that's what you have to do. And good on the Braves for being protective about this and not trying to stress it this early on in spring training. Some sad news to report out of Rangers camp. Prospect left-hander Brock Burke is going to be out for the season with a torn labrum. He made six starts as part of the big league club last season. He had some injury troubles in the minors last year, but for a rebuilding team that was relying on somebody like Burke to be a part of their rotation, this is not what they wanted to hear. The key for him, making sure that the surgery on the labrum goes well, rehab it well, and then hopefully be back for 2021. The Rangers are a team that is going to be relying a lot on their prospects to make an impact this season and hopefully build toward the future. So unfortunate for Burke, we wish him all the best and hope that he is better by next season. The biggest free agent signing of the offseason, Garrett Cole made his debut yesterday in spring training at George M. Steinbrenner Field through a scoreless inning against the Pirates, 20 pitches, 12 strikes in the hitless frame. He was quoted as saying, I'm trying to throw strikes, trying to get the work done, trying to get familiar with the players. I was talking with the guys over a couple of comebackers, trying to go over who's covering. I'm just trying to keep communicating with Gary, that meaning Gary Sanchez, so hopefully we can read each other's minds at some point. And Sanchez responded by saying, reading each other's minds, that would be great, he said through an interpreter. One thing I can pinpoint is the level of intensity that he brings. Going back to his bullpens, even tonight, he was hitting 97-98. That level of being focused and intensity and attacking going right after guys, it's very unique. If one spring training start is an indication of what's to come, then the Yankees certainly got their money's worth out of Garrett Cole. And as we alluded to yesterday, based on the injuries that they're having in their starting rotation, they're going to need Cole to be big every single time he takes the hill. They're not going to have James Paxton for the foreseeable future. They may not have Luis Severino for the foreseeable future. And I think that if Cole is looking good early, the Yankees can use that momentum to ride whatever pitcher ends up filling the four and five spots on their staff. More than likely, it'll be J.A. Happ and Jordan Montgomery. But a good start for the well-paid right-hander, Garrett Cole.
Our final story on the Daily Grounds today, and that is the Miami Marlins are going to be hosting three rounds, including the championship series of the 2021 World Baseball Classic. Marlins Park also hosted games in each of the last two World Baseball Classics, the fifth WBC, which is going to be played from March 9th to the 23rd of 2021, will also take place at Taichung International Baseball Stadium in Taichung, Taiwan, the Tokyo Dome in Japan, as well as Chase Field in Phoenix. So a little bit surprising they're not going to have any of the games at Dodger Stadium like they did in the last World Baseball Classic, but still... Marlins Park is a really good place to have it because it's in the United States, but it's also close enough to a lot of the Latin American countries to where you'll have support from those countries as well. That is going to do it for the Daily Grounds. We do it every day here on MLB Morning Coffee. The main thing that I would like to discuss today is unsigned free agents. Now, it's February 25th. Spring training games have already gotten underway. And there are still a lot of high-impact guys that are available that nobody has signed yet. And it's somewhat curious as to why they are still available. The main one that I want to talk about is Yasiel Puig. Now, Yasiel Puig has had a very interesting career trajectory over the past few seasons. So let's review what Yasiel Puig is. He is a power-hitting outfielder who's got a great arm, runs well, doesn't hit for a super high average, and has some attitude problems. So, let's go through some of his key career stats. His rookie year, 2013, he had 319 in 104 games, 19 homers, 42 RBI, stole 11 bases, had an on-base of 391, finished second in rookie of the year voting. 2014, which was his only all-star year, hit 296, which is his highest career average for playing over 120 games, hit 16 homers, drove in 69 runs, stole 11 bases, had an on-base of 382. Now, in 2015, 16, and 17, now 2015, he had some issues. He got sent back to the minors for a little bit. He only hit 255. 2016, 263. 2017, 263. 2018, where he played 125 games. 267 worth noting in 2017 he played in 152 games which was a career high hit 28 homers a career high 74 runs batted in a career high now in 2019 he split his time between the reds and the indians he was traded to the reds in that salary dump move that netted them homer bailey who they eventually bought out he hit in 100 games with the reds 252 22 homers 61 batted in with the Indians over 49 games, he only hit two homers, but he drove in 23 runs, hit 297, had an on-base of two, of uh, 377. So combined between the two teams, he had probably one of his better years. Career high in RBI with 84, 24 home runs, had an on-base of 327 for an average of 267. Not great, but almost identical to what he was the previous year. Actually, it was identical. Also 327. So why is Puig unsigned? Well, because based on his last few year projections, he's not really viewed as a starting outfielder anymore. He's actually viewed more of as a platoon guy, which I find to be pretty interesting. Is Puig a starting outfielder for a contender like the Dodgers or the Yankees? Probably not. I don't think those are numbers that you give superstar money to. 
but Puig has a superstar personality. So why isn't he working? Well, maybe because he's not viewed as that effective as a platoon guy. Against lefties, he hit 279 last year. Against righties, he hit 263. Those aren't drastic in terms of his platoon splits. In fact, there are a couple of years where his platoon splits were actually kind of skewed backwards. Take, for instance, his 2018 season with the Dodgers. Against right-handers in 266 at-bats, he hit 297, had 19 of his 23 homers, and 48 RBI. Had an on-base of 357 against right-handers. He ended up drawing 24 walks against right-handed pitching. Against lefties, in 153 at-bats, he only hit 209. Had an on-base of 268 against left-handed pitching. So by the tail of that tape, he's not really a great option for a platoon guy. So what is Yasiel Puig at this point in his career? He's a fourth outfielder on a contending team, and he's a starting corner outfielder on a mediocre team. David Schoenfield of ESPN.com put together for each of his, and this is the list that we're going off of, top unsigned free agents, the bottom five currently in war for certain teams at a certain position. So for Puig, Schoenfield put together the bottom five currently in war for right fielder. Now war is wins above replacement, which is effectively how many wins a player affects by them being in a lineup or not versus a replacement level player. Now, I think war is a very good stat. I have no idea how to calculate it. And I work in the stats and research department for the Pac-12 network. We don't have to deal with war. So that's kind of out of the question. That's not something that I ever have to deal with in the workplace. But anyway, the bottom five in right field war projection, the Mariners, the Tigers, the Cardinals, the Padres, and the Marlins. Now, the Mariners are rebuilding. I don't think that adding somebody like a Yasiel Puig is going to do them much good other than maybe trying to improve this year. The Mariners tore a lot of what they had down last season, and after winning the sixth most games in franchise history in 2018, missing out on a wild card, Jerry DePoto decided to trade away a lot of people. He didn't re-sign Nelson Cruz. They didn't keep around Denard Spann, who they had acquired midseason, and they probably weren't going to do so anyway. They traded away Robinson Cano. They ended up keeping D. Gordon, which everybody thought that they were going to trade D. Gordon. They shipped off Ben Gamble. They kept Mitch Haniger because they thought he was going to be a franchise piece. I don't necessarily think that the Mariners are going to be somebody that are going to contend this year, and I don't necessarily think that Yasiel Puig is going to want to go to a team like Seattle just because of the fact that, well, they're invested in a younger outfield core going forward. Top prospect Kyle Lewis made his big league debut last season. They think that he is going to be a superstar. They want to let him develop at the big league level this year. Like we said, they still have Mitch Haniger, Brayden Bishop, who is a top prospect. Bishop is going to get a chance to play at the big league level for a full season if he stays healthy. They still have speedster Malik Smith, and Jake Fraley is going to have a chance to compete for one of the outfield spots as well. And I think that they may end up shifting D. Gordon back to the infield. So they want to let their younger outfielders develop. So I don't necessarily think that that's going to be the best option. The Tigers are not going to contend, and thus they don't want to waste their money on somebody like Yasiel Puig. Neither are the Marlins, who are going to want to have their younger guys develop as well. That leaves the Cardinals and the Padres. 
The Cardinals could win a division. Granted, they always are in contention for the NL Central, but then again, so are a lot of other teams in the division. And the other team in there is the Padres, who might have a chance to compete for the NL West. So if you're one of those two teams and you think that Puig is going to make a world of difference over what you currently have, I think it's worth a go because he'll provide you exactly what his stats are going to give you, which it seems to be about in the range of 260 to 270, somewhere in the range of 15 to 25 home runs, 65 to 80 RBI. That's a productive right fielder. The problem is is that Puig has enough of an ego to where he is not going to accept that type of money for what that production is worth. He's going to want the money that other guys are going to get. He's going to want, you know, 10 plus million dollars a year, which at this point he's not worth anymore. He's not worth the same money that he was back when he first signed out of Cuba in 2012. Here's the crazy part. Yasiel Puig isn't even 30 yet. Yes, he's still 29 years old. He doesn't turn 30 until after this season. So the fact that his value has gone down so far in the course of just honestly two and a half seasons is remarkable. I think somebody that signs him is going to get a lot of value for hopefully not a lot of money. I don't think anybody is going to back up the dump truck for Yasiel Puig. And herein lies why he's still available. Puig has enough of an ego to where he wants starter money. Nobody else out there thinks that he's worth what he thinks he's worth. So nobody is willing to offer him what he wants. And Puig is the type of guy that might sit out for a little while until he gets a contract that he feels is worthy of what he feels like he's worth. Somebody is going to get a value on him he will eventually break, and he will decide to sign for less than what he thinks he's worth, and that team is going to get a very productive outfielder. Another guy that could add some value to a team is former Cubs shortstop Addison Russell. Now, Russell comes with some character issues as he has dealt with domestic violence in the recent past. He actually served a domestic violence suspension back in 2019, so there are character issues there, but Russell, in his 82 games that he actually did play last season, he only hit 237. In fact, Russell has never hit above 250 in any of his five seasons in the major leagues. Now, his 2016 season, which was his lone all-star appearance, he hit 238, but he hit 21 homers and drove in 95 runs. Russell is by no means a starting shortstop anymore, but still is a guy that probably could provide some value as a middle infield option, a sub-shortstop second baseman, somebody that could come off the bench, probably start about 80 games a year or maybe even less than that, come in as a defensive replacement and help somebody's defensive war. I think that Russell is a guy that provides those types of intangibles that if his attitude is good, you sign him to a minor league contract, he will provide something to you defensively that you may not currently have. The next guy on my list is Scooter Jeanette. Scooter Jeanette in the recent past has had some very productive seasons, but last year was a dramatic fall off. In 2017, his first year with the Cincinnati Reds, he hit 295 in 141 games. He hit 27 homers, drove in a career-high 97 runs, had an on-base of 342 and an OPS of 874. He made his only all-star team in 2018, 
playing in a career-high 154 games, hit 23 homers, drove in 92 runs, hit a career-best 310, had an on-base of 357, and an OPS of 847. Now, last year, it all fell apart. He only played in 21 games with the Reds due to ineffectiveness and injury, hit 217 over that span, didn't homer, only drove in five, was picked up mysteriously by the San Francisco Giants at the trade deadline, where in 21 games with SF, he hit 234, hit two homers, and drove in six runs. Jeanette is a prime candidate for a bounce back year. He, like Puig, is only 29 years old. He has been a consistent bat through his time in the major leagues from when he played his first 100-plus game season in 2014 with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's hit over 260 in all but one of his full seasons in the major leagues. That was this past year, and while he only played 42 games, I still count it as a full season because of the fact that he was on the major league roster. The team that I think would be best suited by picking up Scooter Jeanette is the Oakland A's because they have all of their middle infield positions solidified except for second base. They have a host of guys that could be their starting second baseman, veteran utility man Chad Pinder, former top prospect Franklin Barreto, Sheldon Noisy, who they picked up from the Nationals in the Sean Doolittle trade, and Jorge Mateo, who they picked up from the New York Yankees in the Sonny Gray trade. Jeanette would immediately fill that spot as an offensively productive second baseman. He is going to be a defensive liability, just as their second baseman last year, Jerickson Profar, was. The A's, it seems like, put a lot more emphasis on the offensive value of a second baseman than they do a defensive value. I am not calling the A's 2018 second baseman Jed Lowry a defensive slouch by any means, but Lowry was more known for his bat than he was for his glove. And certainly, Jerickson Profar, who was their second baseman last year, was much better known for his bat than his disastrous glove and sometimes his inability to throw the ball to first base. Yes, I saw way too many A's games last year to say that Jerickson Profar had easy times throwing the ball to first base or to second base, for that matter, trying to turn a double play. But in any event, Scooter Jeanette is a guy that is immediately going to upgrade the pop in your lineup. You add him to a lineup that's already got Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Chris Davis, you're looking pretty darn good. And I think that that could take the A's potentially over the top if Jeanette has a good year. Now, if you sign him to a minor league free agent contract, a low-money deal, and he doesn't pan out, you can waive him, you can DFA him, whatever. It's not going to cost you that much. But I think the upside of bringing somebody like a Scooter Jeanette in is probably going to be of greater value to you. I would honestly think that he's probably the biggest value player left out there and probably more valuable than Yasiel Puig just because he has the potential to reach a greater ceiling in terms of his productivity. Now let's go to a couple of guys on the pitching side of things. Matt Harvey is a guy that is still out there. He really struggled last year. His ERA was over 7 60 innings of work. He only struck out 39 guys. He gave up 13 homers. And this is after the Angels signed him to a one-year, $11 million contract, and he didn't even get through all of 2019 with the team. He was eventually DFA'd and picked up by the Oakland A's. I don't think anybody gives Harvey a guaranteed major league contract at this point, but it's worth taking a flyer on him, just as it's worth taking a flyer on former Astros reliever, Colin McHugh. 
McHugh split time between the rotation and the bullpen last season with Houston. Last year, he had a 4-5 and record, a 4-7 ERA, 82 strikeouts in 75 innings of work. I think that everybody pretty much views him as a bullpen guy at this point. He was an effective bullpen arm for the Astros in 2018 when he had a sub-2 ERA and posted a 176 opponent's batting average. He, again, has had injury problems. He was on the injured list in late August, but still a guy you could take a flyer on could be a productive 7th or potentially 8th inning arm in your bullpen. A couple other guys that are still out there that are of note. Sam Dyson had a 2.98 RA combined over his last two seasons, but he is being investigated for a domestic violence incident, and that's why teams are staying away from him. Andrew Kashner, former Red Sox and Orioles starter last year, won 11 games, had an ERA of 4-7. Again, a guy you probably signed to a minor league contract. See if he can break your big league roster. He could be a good number five starter. 2018 World Series MVP Steve Pierce. He battled injuries all of last year. He hit 180 in just 29 games. This is a career journeyman that made a career out of one postseason. He's 37 years old come April and he's been in the big leagues for 13 years and has never had over 400 at-bats in a season. Again, another guy that you could probably pick up as a 25th roster spot, or rather this year a 26th roster spot. I forgot they expanded the rosters to 26, and he's a good platoon first baseman, a guy that you bat only against lefties, and if he's basically your main pinch hitter on a National League team, then I think you're okay with that. Mark Trumbo. Mark Trumbo's a guy that only played 12 games last year and didn't return until September due to knee surgery. Trumbo's a guy that, if he's healthy, he could hit you over 35 homers. Melky Cabrera, he's getting old. But still, he's a guy that's going to hit anywhere from 280 to 300. He's not going to be a good defensive outfielder at this point. Heck, he can't play center field anymore. But still, if you want to put your money in an aging corner outfielder who's going to hit for some average and not a whole lot of power, there's a guy you could go get. Aaron Sanchez, who was the 2016 American League ERA champ when he went 15-2 and with the Toronto Blue Jays. Sanchez had a shoulder procedure done in August that may cause him to miss the whole year, but if you think that he could be healthy, he's a good candidate for a bounce-back season. He was absolutely horrific last year, split between the Blue Jays and the Astros. Another guy that might be worth taking a flyer on because everybody takes a flyer on him, that's 43-year-old Fernando Rodney. He still throws hard, still has a good changeup, but again, you cannot make the mistake of having Fernando Rodney be a 7th or, check that, an 8th or a ninth inning guy. He's a middle relief guy that pitches basically no later than the seventh inning and he's not going to be someone you put in high leverage situations but he's a veteran arm that you can put in the bullpen and still have him be effective although at this point I don't know who is going to want to sign Fernando Rodney who wouldn't rather have somebody that's well 20 years younger than Fernando Rodney at this point Rodney last season, just for reference, split his time between the A's and the Nationals, so he actually won a World Series ring. He was terrible with the A's in 17 appearances at an ERA over 9, but with the Nats in 38 appearances at a 4.05 ERA in 33 and a third innings. That's going to do it for our free agent 
Who is Still Left Out There preview. Now it's time for our favorite segment, Check It Out. Who cares? Let's check it out. Check it out. So most of you who listen to this podcast have probably been on BaseballReference.com. BaseballReference.com is the baseball site of SportsReference.com, which is probably one of the best sports statistical databases that there is out there. You can go to FootballReference.com for football, BasketballReference.com for basketball. They've got a hockey site, a soccer site, a couple of others. Now, yesterday we broke the story to you, or rather we didn't break it, we just told you about the story, that Madison Bumgarner had been secretly competing in rodeos under the name Mason Saunders. Now, somebody discovered yesterday that baseball reference at the bottom of Madison Bumgarner's baseball reference page put in his team roping rodeo competition winnings. It has two meets the Las Vegas in Wickenburg, where he won $26,000, and the NTR National Finals in Rancho Rio, Arizona, where he won $600. The fact that that is a part of his baseball reference page just one day after we found out about it, I think is awesome. So go check that out. You might find a little bit of amusement from it. I certainly did. And good on the folks at Baseball Reference for deciding to put something a little fun into what is normally a mundane-looking spreadsheet of statistics. That's going to do it for today's MLB Morning Coffee. Write a review, leave a rating, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, cook the books, help get our numbers toward that top chart metric on Apple Podcasts. If you want to email the show, do so. Greg.Maraz at Yahoo.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Greg D. Maraz. Some previews coming up. We are going to have a couple of co-hosts coming on a little bit later in the week. So we are looking forward to that. And on that note, have a great Tuesday and we'll catch you in the AM.